Now, I've noted several times in the last three years that raising a little girl is not at all the same as raising boys. Early in this new life that we chose, I came into the room of a crying three-year-old and asked, Sweetie, why are you crying? I don't know. (laughs) Now, my boys, like all children, would cry because they skinned their knees. They would cry because they dropped their popsicle. They would cry because they didn't get their way in something. But as far as I remember, they, and usually I, always knew why they were crying. Ambiguity has become a much larger part of my life in the last three years. And I must confess that little girls have not cornered the market on ambiguity. Jesus' friend Paul often used ambiguity to great effect. But maybe a better way of saying that is that Paul was fond of double meanings. He often wants his readers to struggle just as his friend and master Jesus did. Jesus used riddles and parables so that those who wish to pass by unharmed by Jesus' wisdom may. But those, for those who wish to know, they return, they inquire, they ask questions. While tonight's passage is not a parable, there are some interpretive questions that we must ask, and it may be that Paul deliberately left out some details in his letter so that you and I would struggle, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we would learn. Tonight's passage is a continuation of the passage we began last week. The big idea from verses 12 to 18 was rejoice. Jesus Christ is Lord of suffering and opposition. And what holds these two passages, this one passage and the two nights together, is his statement. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, in the context of suffering and opposition, this strikes most readers as a strange statement. So we inquire. We ask questions. Why, Paul? Why is suffering and opposition a good for believers? Why should we rejoice? Now, Rejoicing while suffering is not natural and it is not easy. And therefore, Paul feels obligated to explain himself. And he says this suffering and opposition that Paul faced are a demonstration of Christ's salvation. Not necessarily deliverance, as I will explain in a moment. And Paul uses this juxtaposition of joy in suffering and opposition to slap us out of inattention so that we will not pass by unharmed by his wisdom. Rather, we would, in fact, ask questions and that we will awaken to the reality of joy in the Lord of suffering and opposition. And this suffering and opposition that Paul faced are evidence of the salvation that Christ brings. Paul 
Paul does not here expect to be set free from opposition, imprisonment, or even physical death. Salvation from these things remains yet future, but knowing it is coming empowers us to persevere in the face of life. Therefore, Paul will make the next choice, and that is not to seek to escape martyrdom or to complain about the suffering and opposition he faces. He will persevere in the face of death remaining as he says, in the body or at least spirit, so that the Philippians and Santa Marians may be encouraged to grow and glory in Christ because of Paul's living and or dying example. Let me repeat. Suffering and opposition for Christ are signs that we are saved. We must not expect deliverance from our sufferings in this life. Instead, we are to expect salvation through our sufferings. And again, I want to quote Alec Motier when he said, Paul did not see his sufferings as an act of divine forgetfulness. Why did God let this happen to me? Or, nor as a dismissal from service, I was so looking forward to years of usefulness, and now look at me. Nor as the work of Satan. I'm afraid the devil had his way this time. But Paul saw it as his place of duty, the setting for service, the task appointed. This point we sought to make well last week. And because Jesus Christ remains Lord of suffering and opposition, you and I can choose joy. I want to read what we did last week and then complete the passage by what we're doing tonight. Starting in verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, (coughs) are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through our... Your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. (coughs) So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now remember, this is all one passage. All the sufferings and opposition that Paul reported facing and the joy he chose remains front and center for this in his mind tonight. And he gives us the reason. Jesus Christ is Lord of suffering and opposition. So choose joy. We'll look at the first three verses. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, our conclusion to the ideas that we began last week balance certainty with uncertainty. There is a measure of ambiguity even while there is solid, hopeful, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring faith. You don't have to be afraid of having doubts or having ambiguity in your life. Even someone such as Paul experienced it. But first, let's see what Paul is certain about. He is certain, Paul is certain that God is sovereign. Paul is certain that believers' prayers are answered. He is certain that Christ will bless and fulfill the work that Paul does in Christ. And he is certain about what is really valuable in this world. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And finally, we'll see in verse 25 that Paul is also certain that he will work, continue to work for the joy of his disciples. Now the uncertainty that Paul has here concerns which of the two enormous blessings that the Lord of suffering and opposition will give Paul. It might be deliverance from suffering, or it might be deliverance through suffering. Paul is certain that God is sovereign. Let's look at that. And we'll also see that Paul is certain that believers' prayers are answered. In verse 19, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance now I don't think that the word deliverance is intended to be from suffering and opposition and martyrdom the word is intentionally ambiguous the word here that is translated deliverance is the common word that we find for salvation but salvation in our own speech and in the New Testament, can have different connotations. Salvation from imprisonment is deliverance. Salvation from eternal damnation is what we expect 
the word to mean. And it usually does mean salvation from eternal damnation. But it always carries this ambiguity, this double meaning within the context when it doesn't mean eternal salvation, when it can be translated as um, deliverance. Paul used this word knowing that his readers would see both connotations and he prayed that God the Spirit would enlighten us so that we would see what we hope for. Certainly deliverance from our suffering and opposition. But he also understood, or he wanted us to understand, that something greater is planned by the God who does not always deliver his children from difficult times. So that we would choose joy. Now, how do we experience this salvation? Now, I want you to note the correspondence that he has right here in verse 19 between the prayers of those who love him and the help of the Spirit. This Christian koinonia, this fellowship, is not sitting around and talking about football. Fellowship is the intentional working together so that we edify each other, so that we act as iron sharpening iron for each other. Fellowship is intentional work so that we motivate each other to, to, towards further growth in Christ. And evidently, Paul believed that the prayerful fellowship of his fellow believers in Philippi carries with it power from God the Spirit that helps Paul in his sufferings in Rome. God helps directly through his spirit and he does so by means of believers' prayers. My friends, this is profound. You are instruments of God's power when you pray. You are the tools that God uses to accomplish his work like the deliverance of prisoners from prison. Paul is absolutely convinced that God is sovereign and Paul is absolutely convinced that believers' prayers are answered. And Paul is absolutely convinced that Christ will win in spite of setbacks. Verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Remember, we've talked about hope several times. Hope in this case is not, oh, I hope my football team wins. It's a confident expectation. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You will find in this verse a paradox found in many passages. Clearly, we see Christ at work here. Paul says, it is my eager expectation and hope. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ Jesus is at work. 
And if the Spirit of Christ Jesus is at work, what he is working on is going to happen. Amen? But clearly also, we see that Paul is at work. Christ will be honored in my body. Now, how can Paul be so confident? Well, he explains it to us in the next chapter. Verse 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Listen. Brothers and sisters, trust the process. Take your steps one at a time. Don't be worried about tomorrow because only enough grace has been given for today. Tomorrow, Jesus says in Matthew 6, you'll get grace for then. Keep moving forward because God is at work in you to keep you walking. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ by taking advantage of the means that he gives us to know him, to love him, and to trust him as we go through our sufferings and oppositions. Pray for joy. Among many things, this means prayer. Pray knowing that God exercises his sovereign control through the prayers of his people in fellowship with each other. Pray. And choose joy. Choose joy because God is at work. And when you are praying, He is at work through you. Paul is certain that God is sovereign. Paul is certain that believers' prayers are answered. Paul is certain that Christ is still at work. And Paul is certain about what is really valuable in this world. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now this is one of those verses that I think have been overthunk. I think people try to make too much out of this, and they just need to take it as Paul writes it. Because I believe that it is the central point Paul wants to make in this passage. Paul sees in this passage that there are two and only two possible outcomes of the suffering and opposition that you, me, or anyone else can suffer. One outcome is that I will die and go directly to Jesus. Another is that I will live, and that means I get to glorify him with my attitudes and actions. But what you have to see from Paul here is that he looks at these and thinks these are equally awesome possibilities. One is not better than the other. But they are both tremendous opportunities to bring glory to God. There is no losing here. In fact, there's an old preacher story. The preacher story is one that may or may not have actually happened, but makes a really good point. The way I heard this story and was told that it's true, back in the Chicagoland gang days, there, a man stepped onto an elevator, and when the door closed, he pulled a gun on the unsuspecting man who happened to be a, also a pastor. And the man said, give me your money, or I'll fill you full of lead. And the pastor responded, 
you can't threaten me with heaven. (laughs) Fill me full of lead. Yeah, that's great. But the point there even is a solid witness. No fear. No fear. Yeah, you could shoot me. It could be painful. Bad things will happen because of that. But I know in whom I have believed. Amen? So no matter what, whether he live or die, serve or be served, Paul and this pastor on the elevator were able to choose joy. And while Christians are not to fear death, neither are we to seek it. Rather, we are to seek to live for Christ and those near ones Jesus has put into our path, which is what he says in verses 22 to 24. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So let's look at what Paul is uncertain of. You see, Paul cannot look down the row of his future any better than you or I can. There's a lot that Paul doesn't know. But guess what? It doesn't bother him. He doesn't sweat it that he doesn't know the future. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I might live, that's a good thing. If I live, that means... I can serve. But now I need to pause because there are two options of what is going on in this verse. Some commentators believe that the money the Philippians sent was meant to be a bribe for Paul's release. Now that is still a live possibility. If so, Paul in this verse is facing the question, do I give a bribe and go free? Now, it's not as simple as you may think. I myself have twice been a part of a situation to make it easier for me to get in or out of Mexico intact. Sometimes the reality of evil is such that palms need to be greased. Of course, there is another possibility going on here. Paul is reflecting hypothetically on the fact that if he were given the choice, which would he choose? If God appeared to him magically in a dream, do you want to come to heaven or do you want to stay there? Uh, Death and the immediate release from his struggles or life and the continuation of those struggles and the service for the kingdom those struggles would permit. Now, the context allows for either option. One of the commentaries that I use favors the bribe understanding and the other one doesn't come down hard on either side. However, the meaning is clear. Death and being in the presence of Christ is to be valued. In fact, he says, "Eh, I'd rather do that. On the other hand, 
life and the service of Christ is in Christ is to be valued as well. And these two strong values lead then Paul to the decision that we must press on for as long as our Lord gives us to press on, which is exactly what he says in verse 23 and 24. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul has no choice but to choose joy. Ultimately, we don't get to decide whether we live or die. At least we don't honestly get to make that choice in a godly way. But we do decide whether or not we are going to allow our stuff, our circumstances, or our relationships cause us not to seek joy in Christ. Choosing joy is not a make-believe giddiness or a pasted smile. No, there are time for tears and tears must come. And in the midst of tears, some of you in this room will understand this better than I, comes a serious reflection on what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. But we cannot miss why Paul does what he does. It's on their account. Paul wants to live for them, which is exactly what he unpacks in verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Notice that Paul has three purposes for remaining in the flesh as long as he can. For the Philippians' progress in the faith, for their joy in the faith, and for their ability to praise Jesus, or in his words, to have cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Also notice that none of these three reasons to remain in the flesh has anything to do with Paul personally. Rather, they have everything to do with fulfilling the reason he was put or appointed for the defense of the good news that we talked about last week. Evidently, Paul believed that living for whatever purpose Jesus assigned to him is something good, something positive, something that is worth enduring pain to achieve. If you believe the same thing about your struggles and opposition, you too will enjoy life better. Not in the prosperity gospel sense, but in the sense that you will understand that Jesus Christ is Lord of suffering and opposition. And that this momentary and light affliction will be far outweighed as soon as we see his face. If you believe the same thing as Paul believed about your struggles and opposition, you will understand 
your God better. And then you will therefore love him and trust him more. Now remember also that we talked about the fact that Paul's certainty about four things overwhelmed his uncertainty about the future. In verse 19, we found out that Paul was certain that God is sovereign. He understood that Paul that believers' prayers are answered. And then in verse 21, we found out that Paul was certain about what is really valuable in this. In verse 20, I'm sorry, in verse 20, we found out that Jesus can even work through our setbacks. In verse 21, we found that Paul is certain that what is really valuable in this world, Christ and living for him. And then finally, in verse 25, we find out that Paul is certain that he will continue to work for the joy of his disciples. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. By the way, I have had many people tell me and I've had personal experience myself, when I am living for joy in others, it actually turns out better for me and my joy. Anybody else experience that? Try it if you haven't. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. It is important to Paul that these believers will have joy as they walk with Jesus, as they glory in Christ Jesus, or as I like to say, they praise Jesus. Saying praise Jesus no matter what the circumstances, for me, really is a reminder because my skull is thick And I need that reminder that even having terrible colds is a praise Jesus moment. And some of you, I've been there and seen you, have suffered a whole lot more than that. And so when he says on your account, in verse 24, we now see it fully spelled out. For your progress in the faith is your joy in the faith or in your walk with Jesus and your ability to see all that you perceive as good or evil and say, praise Jesus. Because as you do so, you will be choosing joy. My friends, that's what this is about. I have to say, this has been a hard two weeks to preach because I know I haven't suffered nearly as much as many of you. But this is what I know. I know not just from my own experience, but I know even more importantly from God's word. When you are trusting his promises to make your suffering and your opposition worth it in the end, right now, right where you are, you can choose joy. And indeed, Lord, that's what we need. I pray that you would give us your spirit to enable us to choose joy. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.